Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Social Impact CX podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. This is episode 29 of Social Impact CX, and again, thanks, as always, for listening. This episode of Social Impact CX is part one of a great conversation I recently had with the one and only Melinda Twan. You know, as you navigate life, there are people you run across that are just so well-respected. You hear from others about how fantastic this person is and how respected they are. And I think Melinda Twan is certainly someone who qualifies uh, with that description. She is someone of that caliber. Melinda is Managing Director for the Fund for Shared Insight, which we're going to get into here in just a moment. Um, I think you'll really enjoy everything Melinda has to say. But before I get to my conversation with Melinda, as listeners know, I start each episode of Social Impact CX with a moment of gratitude. And here in episode 29, I think it's only appropriate for me to express some gratitude for a guy by the name of Jim Laramore. Jim is the executive that heads up the Center for Equity at ACT, and that's where I met Jim when we worked together. But he is also one of those people who is so well respected. So of course, good people tend to know each other, and it's Jim who first introduced me to Melinda. Jim has held professional roles at highly esteemed academic institutions such as Stanford and Dartmouth and Swarthmore and Amherst, as well as uh, he spent some time at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as well. His work is really all about closing gaps and driving towards equity and focusing on achievement and access, especially for the underserved. Uh, Jim is on my advisory board for my startup journey map. And he's offered me some great advice and and guidance there. And I'm really pleased that he is both a colleague and a friend. So with that, let's get to part one of my conversation with Melinda Twan here at Social Impact CX. I hope you enjoy the discussion. I'm very pleased to welcome Melinda Twan, who is Managing Director for the Fund for Shared Insight. If by chance you're not familiar with Fund for Shared Insight, of course, I'm going to let Melinda tell you more. But you should know that uh, Melinda leads a very very collaborative effort that is working to improve philanthropy through better insights and feedback. Fund for Shared Insight is all about helping nonprofits and the funders of nonprofits be more effective in their work by listening to and acting upon feedback from the people that they're working to help. Uh, Melinda has an MBA from Stanford where she focused on nonprofit management and entrepreneurship, and she earned her undergrad degree at Harvard in social studies, and she also focused on uh, urban poverty in her studies at Harvard as well. Uh, Melinda has consulted extensively with various foundations, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and I think it's correct to describe uh, Fund for Shared Insight is really, um, uh, it's an organization um, uh, funded by foundations focused on helping uh, nonprofits and foundations and other organizations, and I'll, I'll let uh, Melinda explain that to make sure that we get it correctly. Uh, but you know, with that, um, Melinda, why don't I turn it over to you and, and you tell us more about the Fund for Shared Insight? Um, and you know, if it's okay with you, I'd really love to hear uh, about how the organization got started and where you're going today. I think the Social Impact CX audience is going to find this conversation very interesting. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's a delight to be with you today. And let me just start with Fund for Shared Insight and I guess our story about how we came into being. We are a funder collaborative. We started in July of 2014 with six foundations that came together. They wanted to improve philanthropy and decided that one of the ways and areas which is least attended to is really bringing the voice of people who are the ultimate beneficiaries of the work that foundations fund, the programs and services that nonprofits offer. So they really wanted to bring those voices of people who are least heard in our society into the considerations of foundations and also to improve the programs and services of nonprofits. Because so often foundations mostly listen to academia, to experts, they commission all kinds of studies to inform their strategy and how they do their grant making. But what we want to do is really lift up the voices of those who are the ones who are actually living the experiences that are being addressed through the programs and nonprofits that nonprofits offer and to bring those into the considerations of foundations. So I think that that's, is I think that's so when I first heard about Fun for Shared Insight, I thought that was fantastic that you're adding to this the, the people who are listening to you, you're, you're adding the voice of the people who are actually receiving the benefits or the services of the nonprofit as well. Right. And I mean, what's interesting is there was a study done by the Center for Effective Philanthropy in 2013, and they asked their panel of nonprofit partners how and whether they listen to the people they ultimately seek to help. And 99% of those nonprofits said they were listening in some way, shape, or other. They were doing focus groups. They're having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. They might be serving them in different ways. But very few of those nonprofits were listening on a systematic, ongoing way. So we were interested in bringing what we call a high-quality feedback loop to the sector, to the social sector. Yep. So today, fast forward, we're almost into the start of our year six. We now have 13 funders that comprise the what we call the core funders of Fund for Shared Insight. They provide year-on, year-on <clears throat> support to the funder collaborative, and they comprise the governing body of the actual funder collaborative. But in total, we now have 94 foundations that are involved across the U.S., and many of those have come to us through our signature initiative, Listen for Good, which I know we'll talk about in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to definitely get to Listen, listen for Good. So what are, um, I, I was looking online at some of the team members you list, um, and you actually have a couple of your funders that you list right there as, as key team members. Could you talk about a couple of the, these are some pretty big names and um, organizations with really significant reach. Um, could you talk a couple, about a couple of the, the, the funders, the foundations that you guys uh, have actively involved in your, in your regular operations? Sure. So of the 13 core funders, two that were involved from the very beginning, and there's actually a very fun story about how this all happened, uh, we have two co-chairs that basically are sort of like an executive committee for Fund for Shared Insights. So if we as staff have questions, we can go to the co-chairs, get their input, and then bring it to the larger group of, of funders for more deliberation. <clears throat> and when Fund for Shared Insight was first started, it was Faye Twersky, who's the Director of Effective Philanthropy at the Hewlett Foundation out in California, 
who had just ended a $2 million a year strategy to improve philanthropy. So she really went to her colleagues across the country to ask them for their input and feedback on Hewlett and how they might use this extra funds they have now available to improve philanthropy. And in one of the meetings, Darren Walker, who is now the president of the Ford Foundation, he was not yet named that at the time of this conversation, but I, I understand it because I wasn't there, Darren said to Faye, this is great that you want to improve philanthropy, but why don't we do something together and we could do something more effective and bigger if we maybe pool our funds and get others to join. And so that was sort of the genesis of this pooled fund funder collaborative that became Fund for Shared Insight. Kathy Rich, who is the director of Build at Ford, <coughs> serves as a co-chair along with Faye Twersky of Fund for Shared Insight. She is now the outgoing co-chair, and we have Kelly Gully, who is a senior program officer at the James Irvine Foundation, who's going to be coming in to take over Kathy's place. So Faye will continue on as co-chair along with Kelly going forward for the next phase of our work. But it's really exciting to get these uh, funders who are passionate about really bringing voice into the work of their own foundations to be co-chairing and partnering with us in this work. In addition, Lindsay Louie, who is the Program Officer for Philanthropy at the Hewlett Foundation and works closely with Faye, she and I essentially were joined at the hip in the beginning when we started Fund for Shared Insight because half of her job is to work on Fund for Shared Insight and to support this effort. Gotcha. Gotcha. That is, I think it's really interesting to see how closely you're working with a couple of these key organizations. And, and last fall, I was in Washington, D.C. for the, the feedback summit that people at Feedback Labs put on. And, and I saw you and Faye um, uh, talking together on a panel. It was, it was really interesting. You could tell how closely you guys work together. So, um, so yeah, that is great. And so um, we're going to – so thank you for explaining that about your – your that's such a unique scenario and it's really interesting that 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 there was a conversation between the Hewlett Foundation and, and Ford Foundation team members how did you decide then to expand you're you said you're at 94 uh, foundations you reach out to now uh, as part of your funding network is that correct yes we have 94 total and hopefully more when we have our next co-funded round of listen for good this fall uh, so essentially we have the 13 core funders Mm -hmm. We have five what we call sidecar funders, uh, not the drink, but people come alongside us and fund. They maybe don't want to be part of the governing structure or can't make the three-year um, commitment in terms of funding for the pooled fund. And then in addition to that, we have recruited at this point and engaged 85 Listen for Good co-funders. Now, all those numbers don't add up because some of our core funders are listen for good co-funders. There's some overlap in roles. Gotcha. But basically, we have now 94 funders that are engaged, a majority of those in nominating their own grantees to participate in our signature initiative called Listen for Good. Right. Okay. That, that's, uh, that's very helpful. And I, I just like to say here at Social Impact CX, uh, as there are people trying to figure out how to do customer experience work um, and they may not have the big budget of a big fortune 500 type company. Um, uh, one of the things I always stress is collaboration. And I think it's fascinating that you guys have, it sounds like an extraordinary collaboration going on with, with your funding partners. And that's, that's a, I think probably a key strength of, of what it is that you're doing. So, 
Yeah, we do. I mean, it's interesting because when we started the fund, this pooled fund, you know, the minimum amount that each funder puts in is $250,000 a year for a three-year period. So that's $750,000 minimum to be a part of the pooled funder collaborative, which is Fund for Shared Insight. That's a little too high for a lot of foundations, right. and a lot of them couldn't make a three-year commitment. So we thought, like, how could we get more funders engaged in this work? And also, how could we engage more nonprofits in this work than just a few that we could fund by doing an open request for proposal, which we did in 2014. Um, so it's really the genesis of Listen for Good that brought all this about. So I don't know if you want me to start talking about that now. Yeah, that is right. You know, um, before we get to Listen for Good, and we're going to, um, so for the Social Impact CX listeners, um, just to level set here, you know, in, in customer experience work, listening or voice of the customer, which I've talked about as voice of the served sometimes, because sometimes there's people listening to Social Impact CX that don't use the word customer. And I would be very interested in getting your take on this also. And so they use the word beneficiary or client or member or patient or student. Uh, but sometimes mm -hmm. customer doesn't always connect. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you, uh, I think, uh, listen for good is uh, a, a fascinating example of a voice of customer, voice of served program that once again, you don't need an expensive software package and a staff of seven to, to do this work. Um, I, I, I'm very interested in hearing about what else going on with, with listen for good. Um, um, have you seen people who have come from the world of, of for-profit business and then worked on uh, doing this in a nonprofit environment and the, it, it, they have to make a connection or there's kind of a bridge to cross? In general, across the sector or in Listen for Good in particular? Um, I was thinking, uh, well, uh, in, in the nonprofit sector in general, but if you have Listen for Good examples, that would be interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say I'm not as close to like all the people that are working on Listen for Good within the nonprofit organizations, but I imagine there are a number of people who are what I would call bridgers. Um, but in a previous life, I did some work with the Bridge Span Group around bridging and helping for-profit people to make that transition into the nonprofit sector. Um, you know, there's a lot more of that crossover. When I started my career 20 plus years ago, there were not as many people, I think, that were trying to really bridge from the for-profit to the nonprofit sector. Um, so there are definitely you know, some challenges that people experience, the, the more limited resources, perhaps, that nonprofits have to work with, typically, than a lot of for-profits. Um, the collaborative nature of the work in the nonprofit sector is another thing that's often surprising to people from the for-profit sector. How many layers of stakeholders that really need to be involved in decision making? Yes, yes. So those are, I mean, a couple of things that stand out to me. Yeah, I, I think that is, uh, I think in the for-profit sector where so much customer experience has uh, come from, um, you know, you certainly have sales and product or service and, and leadership involved. I think the collaborative nature of the different um, stakeholders in a nonprofit is different. And I, I think that does lend a, a different take on how you go about doing this work. And so. Um, well, and it's, it's been interesting too about Listen for Good in yeah. that even though Listen for Good is structured to be about listening to the voice of what we're calling the people we seek to help. I mean, yeah. there are lots of different words and descriptions you can use. It's, not a perfect term by, sh by any stretch of, of imagination, but 
that's the term we've been using, the people we seek to help. Yeah. And what we're finding is a lot of nonprofits that are engaging as listening realize, oh, we're not really listening to our staff, or we've never asked our volunteers for feedback, or we've never talked to our donors to ask for their feedback. And so each of those different stakeholders can be a part of a high quality feedback loop with the nonprofit. It's not our mission in terms of listen for good to help organizations do that, but often they take the skills and the tools that they've developed with us do listen for good and then apply it to these other stakeholder groups. That is a excellent point uh, because when you do customer experience work, um, you know, employee experience or team member experience is really where it all starts. Uh, you know, you can, uh, I've used example before, you can walk into an extraordinary boutique hotel and if you have a terrible experience at the front desk, um, you know, that's going to set the tone for everything else, no matter how extraordinary. Um, uh, the other experiences might be uh, one team member can actually uh, change an experience for a customer or a beneficiary or whomever and that's really important to recognize and so the importance of listening to staff and volunteers and other people that are uh, helping you do whatever it is you're doing that's it's such an important point um, so Let's talk about Listen for Good. Um, uh, and so this is a really interesting program, and I'm hoping you can take it from the top. I know that the program has progressed over a couple of few years, and you're in a software application now, but if you could really explain where Listen for Good came from and what it is, Net Promoter Score, or NPS, which I've talked about in other episodes of Social Impact CX about measurement and metrics. Um, but if you could explain what this is about, um, I, I think listeners will find that very interesting. Sure. And just stop me if you want me to explain something further or if I'm going on about things that your listeners have already heard about. So what one term so, I already used is feedback loops. And so as you explain Listen for Good, if you can explain the relevance to feedback loops, um, that would be great. Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, when we had uh, looked at the study that the Center for Effective Philanthropy had done, you know, nonprofits are listening to the people they seek to help but not necessarily in an ongoing, systematic, or benchmarkable way. And when you go back to 2014, when we first launched Fund for Shared Insight, we launched with an open request for proposal in three different areas, but one of them was to ask nonprofits around the country who wanted to listen to the people they, they seek to help through their programs and services um, to apply for grants to Fund for Shared Insight to help them to listen. And we had no idea how many nonprofits would apply. We had no idea what the interest would be in this area. Uh, we received 120 applications from nonprofits around the US. So we were sort of blown away by the interest. Yeah. And we only had funding for seven. So that was really disappointing to us that there was this great interest, but limits on our ability to fund them. And it was because we were funding these individual organizations, amazing organizations like the Center for Employment Opportunities and Habitat for Humanity International to listen to the people that they're serving. But we were basically helping them over like a three-year grant period with several hundred thousand dollars to build a custom listening system for that organization. And it's been great because they've been able to replicate that and send it through the different sites that they work within their organization. But we realized pretty quickly that that wasn't get us, gonna get us very far to a lot of nonprofits very quickly. So we continued to fund those um, and we did some learning journeys where we 
visited companies in DC and we visited some companies in Silicon Valley to understand how are people listening to the voice of customers. And we learned about the Net Promoter Score and the Net Promoter System. And do you want me to explain what that is or do you feel like your listeners know what that is? Right now? Um, why don't you give it a, a little recap, uh, recap, that'd be great. Okay. Um, so Bain and Company, many years ago, about 15 years ago now, came up with something called the Net Promoter System. And if you have been on an airplane or been in a hotel or many restaurants, at the end of your experience, you'll get a survey that says, John, on a scale of zero to 10, would you recommend this airline, hotel, restaurant, on a, um, uh, would you recommend this service to a friend or a family member? And you can give them a score as low as zero, and it's clear that zero is bad, right. and as high as a 10. And what they learned in the for-profit sector is that if you give a score of nine or 10, you're considered a promoter yep. of that product or service. If you give them a seven or eight, it's considered neutral, like you're not jumping up and down about them, but you also have nothing bad to say. And if you give them a score of a six and lower, you're considered a detractor. And when you take the percentage of people who give you a nine or 10, we're promoting you, subtract out the percentage that are detractors that give you a six or below, you get your net promoter score or your NPS. Yep. And as it turns out, when you look at your NPS score and compare it to other similar companies in your industry, it's highly predictive of your company's future growth and profitability. And it's quite different than getting customer satisfaction data. So this net right. promoter score, again, has been very valuable in the for-profit sector. Yep. But what's important is that you're comparing your score, again, to other companies in your industry. So if Apple gets something in the 80s, because you can score as high as 100 if everybody gives you a 9 or 10, and you can score as low as a negative 100 if everybody gives you a 6 below. Um, but Apple at 80-something is an industry leader. Verizon at 20-something is also an industry leader because we don't tend to like our cable companies that much. It's but, an upper set sector, correct. Yep. Yes. So benchmarking is really important. Yes. So when we looked at the net promoter system, we wondered if this could be applied to the social sector because uh, nonprofits have people who are receiving services goods um, who are customers um, and to understand what their experience is. Would they recommend this homeless shelter or this after school program to their family members or friends who are in a similar situation? So we thought let's experiment with this. And SurveyMonkey, which many people are familiar with, okay. uh, is a partner that we've worked with since the beginning to develop basically a semi-standard survey as like five questions that everybody asks right. and they can customize and ask another five questions and then we collect demographic data on the people answering these questions so, and we now have through yeah. listen for good Go over 200 nonprofits and these 94 nominating funders that are involved in this program okay and so listen for good is based upon standardizing on is it the MPS question that one question plus four other standardized questions is that correct that is correct and we adapted the nps yeah. uh, the first question is how likely are you to recommend this nonprofit program service to a family member or friend on a scale of zero to ten and then we asked them two open-ended questions 
what does this organization do well? How can this organization improve? And that's where you get a lot of rich information about what you can specifically do better. And then we ask them a fourth question, which is how well has this organization met your needs? And that's on a scale of one to five. And then the fifth question is how well has the staff treated you with respect? Or how often does the staff treat you with respect? And that again is a scale of one to five. Interesting. And then, and then an organization can add up, did you say up to an additional five questions? Um, five or so. I mean, the whole idea is that you don't want organizations asking a hundred questions because no one wants to fill out a hundred question survey. Correct. Um, what, what I think is, this is what's fantastic is that if you've done work with NPS in the for-profit sector, first off, it's not unusual to adjust or adapt somehow. Many times that core question, it applies in that for-profit setting a little more closely, uh, but, but people still go ahead and uh, adjust uh, as needed, perhaps to their specific situation for their company, um, and, then, and then they deploy it rigorously and systematically. And I'm taking a guess that that's part of your recommendation with the Listen for Good program also, is that you need, this is not a one-time survey, you need to actually use this on a regular basis. Is that correct? That is correct. And so there are a few other things I should mention about Listen for Good. The way that we've implemented it to date is that a funder will nominate their own nonprofits that they fund that are customer facing to participate in Listen for Good. If the nonprofit is selected, the funder puts in $15,000. Fund for Shared Insight matches that $15,000, so the nonprofit gets a $30,000 grant to help them with staff costs, with technology acquisition, with incentives if need be, to implement the Listen for Good program. In addition to that, Fund for Shared Insight has a team of feedback coaches that are all over the country, and they provide one-to-one -one virtual coaching for each nonprofit team. And in addition to that, they have access through a very robust interactive website to all kinds of tools, testimonials, videos. Uh, there's access to peer support through this, Zoom calls and conference calls, and an in-person gathering that we have every two years for all the funders and nonprofits involved. And then, of course, they have access to the tool, which is in SurveyMonkey. So Fund for Shared Insight pays for them to have a premium account for SurveyMonkey for the survey, as well as for the benchmark account. And all of this is really geared towards helping nonprofits implement what we call a high quality feedback loop. So we're helping them through the five steps. Uh, the first is how to design your survey. Again, we have these standard questions, but they're custom questions. Yeah. And they're also you know, questions that we work with a nonprofit about in terms of what language should you use. Should you use paper and pencil or tablets or kiosks or text surveys? You know, all those kind of questions. Um, when should you collect the data? So there's, again, the first step is the designing of the survey. Second is actually collecting the data from the people they seek to help. Mm -hmm. The third step is we coach them on how to analyze the data they receive. The fourth step is actually responding to what they heard from the results. And the fifth and most important step, which often is missed in both the for-profit and the nonprofit sector, is closing the loop, meaning you go back to the people who gave you the feedback and say, here's what we heard. Thank you so much for giving us your feedback. We heard that you would like 
to have our waiting times be shorter at the food bank because it's hot outside and you're standing up the entire time. Um, and here's what we're going to do about it. We are asking our funder to help us install benches and awnings so you can wait in the shade and be seated. We're also trying to reduce wait times by opening up early or we're increasing staffing. So you're closing the loop with the people that gave you the feedback to say, look, we heard you and we're going to do something about what we heard or and we heard you that the waiting room at the clinic is too small. We're sorry, but we can't do anything about the size of our waiting room because that's just the space that we've been given. But let us engage you in helping us figure out how to make that wait time shorter or maybe we can make it more comfortable in a waiting room. So closing the loop is really the most important piece of this whole high quality feedback loop. Because I think a lot of nonprofits do surveys. They're asking for feedback, but so often um, don't get to the closing the loop piece. Right, and I, I think in the for-profit sector, uh, the, the organizations that I think many times really live by NPS and they embrace it, uh, I think that they, they work hard then on um, closing the loop. And some of them actually then publish out um, uh, the, where they are in terms of uh, these responses and, and tracking and benchmarking with uh, their key customer sets or whatever. So I... I, I applaud you guys on, um, you know, anyone who's trying to set up a voice of customer program, whether you are a nonprofit or for-profit, to really do it correctly, you need to look at it in a systematic way, which Listen for Good allows you to do. Um, and then understanding your, your, your design phase where you're adapting what you need to adapt for your audience and your particular situation, and then um, understanding the data and how to analyze it are, are key steps. Um, uh, and actually there's organizations that don't, they, they may not have staff resources, that that can actually be uh, a sticking point, uh, understanding how to actually collect and then analyze that information. But then steps four and five, both responding and closing the loop are so important. And that's where you get to, um, if you're closing the loop, uh, a, a couple things. First off, you know, I think the systematic deployment of this, whatever your frequency is, whether it's monthly or quarterly or, or whatever is appropriate for your scenario, that's an important thing. Uh, and if you're closing the loop, your frequency begins to, um, uh, I think, be really important because you know how frequently it is you're gonna go back to people. Um, um, but then uh, viewing this then as a way to report out in the organization, which I'm guessing that goes on um, uh, in your in the, the organizations using um, listen for good. Reporting out and reporting up internally is really key usually here as well, too. Yes, that's right. And that, like you said, the feedback loop doesn't happen just once. It's ongoing. That's it. So that you're able to, and it's interesting, a lot of the nonprofits we talk to say it's been really helpful for new clients because even though they may have clients who gave the feedback and they're not there anymore to benefit from the changes. We had this one youth serving organization where the feedback they gave was like, pay us more money. Well, it wasn't something the organization could do quickly. So they were able over time to increase the youth interns wages, but the people who gave the feedback, you know, didn't get to benefit from that, but they felt good about the fact that they were listened to and that they were making things better for the next round of youth interns that were coming in. And they could tell the new ones coming in, look, this organization really cares about you. They are going to listen to you, and they're actually going to act on what they hear from you. That, that is, uh, that's so important. And, you know, 
in um, the neighboring space of mapping a, a journey, a customer journey or a beneficiary journey, you know, sometimes the worst points in a journey actually are completely out of your control. And that, so it might be something that you, you're going to set about on a longer path to address. Um, but taking that in and saying, we heard you, uh, is really important. And so and I think that's key to any listening or feedback-based program as well, too. So this has been Social Impact CX Podcast, Episode 29, which has been the first part of my conversation with Melinda Twan of the Fund for Shared Insight. Uh, the second part of our conversation will be out soon in another episode. I certainly share Melinda's passion for feedback, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for the work that she and all of her team members do. Uh, feedback is essential for any real effort in customer experience work, and I think uh, that's especially true in a nonprofit or social impact environment. As always, you can ask a question or make a comment here at Social Impact CX a couple different ways. First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-T at socialimpactcx.com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is socialimpactcx. Uh, please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts or other related content. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is John F. Corrigan. Or if you're listening to us, uh, uh, or this podcast rather, someplace like SoundCloud or YouTube, where you can post a comment or a question, please do so. And we'll do our, our best to keep up with you there and provide answers. Uh, we've expanded the places you can find and listen to Social Impact CX, places like Spotify. And as always, we are on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I hope that we've uh, made it easy for you to find Social Impact CX to tune in and listen. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help. Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.